So for those of you who don't know, um, I was a fifth grade teacher here in this building for um, seven years. And as a fifth grade teacher, one of probably one of my favorite times as a teacher was silent reading time. You know, and you know why? Because it's, yeah, they're silent. It's beautiful. But my second favorite time was uh, when I could do oral reading. I, I would choose certain books and read them to the class. And if you chose the right book, these kids are like just sucked in, you know, and you shut the book and they go, no, you know, and you, you have them at your mercy. And one of my favorite books that I read to uh, fifth grade kids, it was written by Joan Lowry Nixon, and it's called House on Hackman's Hill. And House on, House on Hackman, Christian, you remember it? Oh, it's a great book. It's the story of these kids who um, go into this house and somehow they get trapped in this house and, and there's a mummy in this house and they have to find this thing. And, and every chapter there's this cliffhanger. And just perfectly written where you come to the end of the chapter and the kids go, no, one more chapter. And you go, no. You're going to have to wait till tomorrow. But these kids, very quickly, you know, they would go home and they'll tell their parents about what's going on to these little kids. And they find themselves very quickly wrapped up into this story. They find themselves in the story to the, to the point where some kids had dreams about it. Sometimes scary dreams. But these were, you know, they're, they're caught up into this story of House on the Hackman's Hill. And they just loved it. They loved the story because they could identify. These were kids their age. They were doing things that maybe they would do. And it was kind of this, had this thrill piece to it. Well, this morning we are going to be reading uh, Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 41. And I want you to grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible there, they're on the sides here. Flag them down. Send them down. Page 851. And this is a story... Um, this is the Passion Week of Christ. This is the week where um, he, Mark, as he's writing, is doing this um, fast-paced um, race to the cross. Last week we talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and how he, his resolve was steeled through prayer. It was just solidified. He became resolute. Father, you know what? If it is possible, remove this cup from me. Find another way, but ultimately, not my will, but your will be done. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And if you look at John chapter 17, you see more of his prayers. His, uh, his prayers for the church. Lord, may they be one. May they be one. You know, things are going to happen. Lord, may they be one. May they be bound together. May they discover what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. And he just prayed this passionately. At the end, after seeing his disciples sleeping three times, he said, that's it. Let's go. And this morning, alongside Christ, we're going to see three people. We're going to see Judas. We're going to see Peter. We're going to see John Mark. Even though he's not named. I believe that's who it is. And I want you to see where you are in this story. 
Because as we read Scripture, Scripture reads ourselves. We find ourselves, it's not just this, this book that's a historical document. It's a live document where we find ourselves in this story. So read along with me, starting, uh, starting at verse 41, just so that we can kind of back up. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber or with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and he ran away naked. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. Judas is one of the most probably vilified people in all of Scripture. I mean, he is the bad guy. If you have to find somebody in the Bible that you would like to crucify, who's it going to be? It's either going to be that snake in the garden, or it's going to be Judas Iscariot. He has been given such a bad rap, and probably for a good reason. But there's times where I look at this guy and I go, Really? For three years of his life, he followed closely after Jesus Christ. He heard the teachings of Jesus Christ. He was faithful. He gave up his life as a zealot and followed closely after Christ. He had the responsibilities which probably most of us would hate. He was the bookkeeper. He was the one who took charge of the money. He carried around the purse. And when, when Jesus would be feeding people or when Jesus would be going into the temple, He would care for handing out the money. He was the one who would just say, here we go, let me take care of that. He, he would take care of the bills for the group. He was devote to Jesus. He followed closely after Jesus. He just got a, such a bad rap. And probably for a good reason. Somebody that we love. Sunday after Sunday, we worship, we adore, 
We sing praises about. We have whole programs which are devoted to telling our children about Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. And we've got a person in the story who kills, not directly, but indirectly, our Savior. He provides a way. He betrays Jesus Christ. And in the story, we can just see some really neat things going on. As I'm reading through this, I'm going, yep. Yeah. You know what? There's times where that is me. Whether we want to believe it or not, I can, I can be that Judas who is giving Jesus this kiss. And I think that during this time, even as Ju- Judas was coming before Jesus, coming to the garden, his heart was pounding. His heart was going, am I really doing this? Am I, am I really doing this? Because the instructions that he said was, listen, crowd, you've got your swords, you've got your clubs. Okay, I'm giving you the signal. The signal is this. I will greet him and I'll give him a kiss. We all got it? What am I going to do? Greet him, give him a kiss. Great! Alright, so all of a sudden they start making out of... Out from the temple area. They're leaving the temple. And Judas is starting to go. I've got to greet him. And I've got to give him a kiss. Have you ever had that time where it's like, I'm resolute, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden you're there. And your heart is just beating. And you go, is this what I need to be doing? Is this what it means to be faithful? Is this what it means? Is this what God's call on my life is? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And he had a tough job. There was even prophecies that talked about he was going, how Jesus was going to be betrayed. In Psalm 41.9 it says this, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Scripture talks about who it is that is going to be betraying Jesus. So he is heading up the hill and he's going to be meeting Jesus with a simple greeting and a kiss. And there's something that powerful that happens here. It says there is a Greek word here, changes. The original Greek word is just a simple greeting kiss. Kind of like what you... As a Dutch person, we, we don't do the kind of this uh, holy kiss thing, you know, because it scares to de- us to death. And I, I've had my experiences with these you Italian folks out there with, with the kissing. My first time was with Laura, and she wanted to introduce me to her friends, Sam and Deb Bonaro. Yeah, Italian, through and through. She goes, she told me, hey, just so you know, Sam's a little affectionate. All right. I figured, you know, a good hug, a handshake, pat on the butt. Oh, no. Uh, we come into the house after Laura and I were freshly engaged, and Sam goes, Oh, Paul! And he comes, grabs my head, kisses me, not on the cheek, right on the lips. <laughs> How are you doing? You know? So, you know, it starts off with this friendly, he was just going to do the courteous 
the greeting, the good Jewish greeting and kissing each other, giving them a good holy kiss. Now, what happens here, though, is that Judas is all of a sudden coming up face to face with the one that he has been passionately following for three years. And the word changes. In, other, in the other Gospels, it says, he says, Rabbi, 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 three times. And then, what does he do? He gives him a fervent kiss that is reserved to show the deepest affection. The word changes. And he betrays his Savior. If you go on to read what happens to Judas Iscariot, he is devastated. The ultimate act of betrayal. I think he knew what he was doing. He betrayed his Savior. He betrayed the One who he had followed closely. And the guilt and the shame overwhelmed him. He went back to the temple and took the 30 shekels, which is in our day, 25 bucks. And he threw it on the floor and said, I cannot take this. And the priest said, we can't receive it either, for it was blood money. And what did Judas do? Committed suicide. The guilt overwhelmed him in his betrayal. Peter. Peter is our second guy. You know, he earlier, about two weeks ago, we talked about, Simon Peter said, listen, all these others, all these other people, all you guys are going to betray him, but not me. I am going to be steadfast. I am sticking by you, even if I have to die. He goes, are you serious? They're going to strike me and all the sheep are going to scatter. Not me, Jesus. I am the one who is going to be faithful. I'm going to stick with you to the end. And Jesus goes, no, you're not. You're going to run. And even on the, as Jesus is praying His last prayers, Peter could not even keep his eyes open. Exhausted. But in his last ditch effort, as he sees the crowds coming and he sees Judas leading the way, his heart starts beating and goes, oh, I made a promise and I'm a little ticked off. You know, Peter... He's, he's, he's got kind of Bob's personality. You know, go get it, go get it kind of personality. Right, Bob? Right. You know, just, I'm going to take care of this. And what does he do? He pulls out a sword, strikes Malchus, who is the high priest's servant, and slices off his ear. He's one of these passionate guys. You know, he's either really hot or he's really cold. Either he really gets it or he doesn't at all. And then this is one of those moments where Peter is just going, man, I am going for Jesus. Here's a moment I'm going to chase him hard and going after him with all that I have. I'm pulling out my sword and I'm going to defend my Savior. Wham! Takes off an ear. And Jesus goes, hold on a second. This is not how this is to be done. And in the other Gospels, we see Jesus picking up the ear 
and putting it back on. If it wasn't for that, there could have been four crosses on Calvary with Peter on one of them. And Jesus has one more person in this story. After Jesus was taken by all the chief priests and the scribes and all those people with the clubs and the swords, everybody scattered. Peter, after his his last ditch effort, strikes the ear off. The ear is put back on. He runs. It says here that they all fled. They all left him. They all left him. His most devote, his twelve, left him. I wonder what that says about the church and our passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, when it really comes down to us professing our faith, showing our faith, are we betraying Christ? Or are we giving this real quick flare of passion and then leaving? There's one last person. And we see it here with this just two strange verses. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. You can read all kinds of uh, uh, commentaries. For some reason, Scripture is silent about who this is. And we, we can speculate, which I, I'm going to speculate, and that's... I get to. Um, about who this is. Scripture doesn't say. Some, some people believe that it was John, the beloved disciple. Others say... And more believe that it was probably John Mark, the author of the Gospel of John. John was uh, part of a very wealthy family. And they believe that uh, the Passover meal probably took place in his home. His family hosted it. And it was also, uh, John Mark's family was also the room, the place where all the apostles met after Jesus' death. Where they all gathered there. And they believe, some people are speculating that it was John Mark, that after Jesus had left, word had gotten out that Judas had betrayed. And that a, a crowd was coming for Jesus. And John Mark, in, in his hurry, left the house in nothing but just a linen cloth. Running around in his underwear. Running up to get that last chance to let Jesus know and even as he's watching from a distance, he sees all this that has taken place, that Judas gives Jesus this fervent, passionate, deeply affectionate kiss. Betrays him. The crowd grasps him. Peter, in the heat of battle, slices off somebody's ear. Jesus replaces it. And John Mark follows closely, 
to watch. What is going on? What is going? Where is this Jesus going? What is taking place? This Messiah. He had preached. He, was, he said he was the one, and now they're taking him to court. And they grabbed him. And he wrestled away. And I'm sure with great shame, he ran off into the darkness without anything. To me, as I read that, I wonder, you know what? How many of us follow closely, but when we are grabbed by culture, by family, we have these deep questions. We, we wiggle away and we have really nothing. Nothing. Or maybe we're, we're like Peter. Hot flashes of passion. Matthew Henry wrote this, this quote. He said this uh, in his commentary about uh, this section. It's easier to fight for Christ than to die for Him. But Christ's good soldiers overcome, not by taking other people's lives, but by laying down their own lives. It's easy, you know, in the heat of the battle, and just saying, seriously? You don't believe that? Come on! What are you talking about? And we have these, we fight for Jesus, we fight for Jesus, but in reality, are we able to just lay down our lives as Christ laid down His life for us? Are we willing to serve our world that Christ showed? A long, enduring love that went all the way Here's the thing that Judas didn't discover, though Peter did later on, is that there is forgiveness for even such betrayals as these. Because as Peter took his life because of the shame and the guilt, Peter was what? He was later restored. He was later Restored. I think God can take the broken and the, the spoiled strands of life and weave them together into this beautiful tapestry. He can take your, He can take my mess ups, our betrayals, our goofs, our hot flashes and flares of passion for Christ. He can, he can take our running away with nothing. And he weaves them into this beautiful tapestry. He takes them and creates something absolutely beautiful. Look at Romans 8.28. You got that for me, Amanda? And we know that, those who love, that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to His purpose. He takes all of our mess-ups, all of our screw-ups, screw he takes all those things, our history, our past, our future, our right now, He takes everything and He puts them all together and He weaves it into this beautiful thing. You know what? 
they'll betray me. I even told my, my apostles, those who are closest to me, that you know what? You're, they're they're going to come for me and you're going to run for the hills. But you know what? There's something beautiful that I can redeem in your life. That I can heal and where I will get glory. Where I will be honored. He takes our dirtiest, painful, Read the book of Acts. Peter still screws up. Still screws up. Read First and Second Peter. And he talks about the cross. And how it starts to click for him. For Peter, he gets it. It takes time. But his life is woven into this beautiful tapestry where we look at it and we see single single strands, and we go, I don't get it, and this is painful. But if we could step back and have God's perspective, it goes, beautiful. That, beautiful. And it's going to work according to my purpose, my plan. God is going to take child abuse. He's going to take divorce. He's going to take abandonment. He's going to take the questions that you have. You're running from Christ. You're running from relationships. He's going to take all those things and He's going to weave them together. And He's going to say, beautiful. Look at how I used you for the sake of my kingdom. For the sake of reaching people. Jesus said to even Judas in Matthew 4 or 5, he said, friend. He called him friend. He was the guy who was So Jesus, even in our mess, he looks at you. Friend. He calls us friend. He's known as the friend of sinners. can run around with that guilt, that shame, that pain. But you know, at the end of the day, I still call you friend. You're still my child. And I still love you. For me, that's one of those things that I just wrestle with. If you've been around Missy Day long enough, you know some of my stories. At the age of eight, Used by a favorite uncle. Painful, awful, shameful stuff. And there's days where I go, why did why did you do that to me? An eight-year-old boy. Why would you allow such pain and confusion? Allow mistrust to come into my life. Why would you allow that? And some of you have that same same thing. Maybe not child abuse. 
but your own thing that you try to hide in your own personal closet and you don't want to allow anybody to see. Where you become your own personal Savior. And you try to fix it. Christ is saying, listen, that's my story. I'm writing it. Would you allow me to be Lord over it? To be Master over it? The thing for Jesus... And I found this in one of my in one of my commentaries, and of course I can't find it anymore because I wrote it down instead of proper footnotes, so if the author comes after me, oh well. He wrote this. One commentator said this as partakers of the life of Christ, we must realize there is only one acceptable posture submission to him who gave himself for us. But while we are not to drink the cup, we are to live in dependent submission to Him, responding in love as He did. There's only one acceptable posture as a Christian, as a leader, as a pastor, as a friend, brother, sister in Christ. There's only one acceptable posture as a partaker in the life of Christ. And that is one of submission. And that's a word that we don't like to hear. We like to be in control, in charge. Don't tell me I've got to submit. Jesus Jesus is saying, listen, the only way that you can experience true joy and fellowship is when you learn to submit your whole life to Me. Your whole life to Me. When you stop, you're running. When you stop, you're just hot flashes of passion. Follow closely and At the end, we see that Jesus is absolutely alone as He submitted Himself to the cross. Absolutely alone. As He submitted Himself to His Father. This morning I wondered what it is that you need to submit to. What area in your life have you not fully submitted to Jesus Christ? And maybe for some of you, you've never even done that. Submitted your life to Jesus Christ. So what is it? You don't have to say it out loud. In your mind, what is it that you say, Lord, here's one more area in my life that I need to give to You. tired of running. I'm tired of hot flashes. I'm tired of betraying You with my words and my deeds. There's one more area that I need to give to You. And as we come to to communion, as we come to the Lord's table, 
it's just another visual representation of the good news of Jesus Christ. That He submitted Himself to the Father. He gave Himself His body by saying, listen, this is My body which is just broken for you. And He was only able to do this because He submitted Himself to His Father. Broken body just for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And in the same way, after the meal, He took the cup of blessing and He poured it out saying, this is My blood in the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of Me. So as you come this morning, I want to encourage you, before you come, examine yourself. This is a meal for those who have confessed with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. But this is also an an open table for those of us who have dropped the ball again this week. Where Jesus says, you're welcome, friend. This is a time for us to remember the sacrifice that was made. those who are serving, come forward.